may be seated. Now in our uh, program, we have uh, the Apostles' Creed. We will recite. Children of God, what do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. But I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, Today, our uh, responsive reading comes from uh, Psalms 19, uh, 1 through 16. 119. 119. It's on page uh, 650 in the Pew Bible. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. And walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him and Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts, you have diligently. O my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with up, upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your I will mediate you, uh, I will mediate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. All right, if you look in your bulletins, uh, the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 178, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of His Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Question 179. Are we to pray until God only? God only being able to search the hearts 
Hear the requests, pardon the sins, and fulfill the desires of all, and only to be believed in, and worship with religious worship. Prayer, which is a special part thereof, is to be made by all to him alone and to none other. Question 180. What is it to pray in the name of Christ? To pray in the name of Christ in obedience to his command and in confidence on his promises to ask mercy for his sake, not by fair mentioning of his name, but by drawing our encouragement to pray and in our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and his mediation. Question 181. Why are we to pray in the name of Christ? The sinfulness of man and his distance from God by reason thereof, being so great that he has access into his presence without being in and there being none in heaven or earth appointed to or fitted for that glorious work by Christ alone. We are to pray in no other name well good morning everyone good morning. now some of the things that we do in this service might be different from what you do in your particular tradition or background but these are the things that have been done in churches for 2,000 years so we don't show, throw out anything we keep all the good stuff and we get rid of some of the bad like you might notice it in these questions the simple thing like why do you pray in Jesus name we all do it, but we might never have thought about why we end every prayer with, in Jesus' name. Well, you know, this, uh, this specific set of answers has been around for the last 500 years, instructing Christians in these things. And why do we do things like say the Apostles' Creed? Because in every service, for those thousands of years, there's been a place where everybody stops and together professes their faith in Christ. This is a gathering of the people of God. And we also have confession. Now, it's not confession like in the Roman Catholic Church, where you go and sit in a box and you tell the priest all this stuff and they tell you to pray some Hail Marys, which is not in the Bible anywhere. But a time to go before God and to confess to him your personal and private sins before you progress further into the worship is completely biblical and makes a lot of sense. So at this time, we have a time of silence for you to confess to your God your personal and private sins. And at this time, we also confess as a people of God, as you've seen many times in Scripture, the people came together to confess their sin before God so that they might be forgiven and blessed by Him. So Christian, do you believe that you have sinned every day in thought, word, and deed? We do. And do you believe that you've fallen short of the glory of God? We do. 
then I declare to you only what the scriptures declare, that if you have rested in the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ, denying any of your own, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, your sins are forgiven and you are restored to your God. If you could pull out your prayer list, if you have one. Lord, our God and Father, we want to get, bring together before you, Lord God, the particular petitions of this church, that we might be a praying church, Lord God, that through the prayers of the saints, Lord God, here gathered, that you would hear and you would grant our petitions because you always take care of your children. We want to pray particularly for those of our number that are struggling with different cancers, for Barbara Minor, for Peggy Four, for Ava Roten, for Helen McBride, for Tracy Copeland, for Jean Adams, for Luann Paris, for Billy Paris, and for any other of our number, Lord God, that are struggling with this terrible disease, we pray that you would intercede on their behalf, that you would heal their bodies and encourage their spirits in the name of Jesus Christ. We also pray for the general well-being of Jack and Barbara Anthony, Cynthia Hogan, Alice, David, and Murray Raver, Aileen Prude, and any others, Lord God, in the unspoken prayer request of this congregation that's gathered before you, that you would just look out for us as a loving father because we know you love your children dearly. And that as our great physician, you would continue to care for our well-being. That the many of our number that have been struck down with this, this flu that swept through the community, Lord God, that you would just heal us and restore us and protect us in the name of Jesus Christ. We also pray, Lord God, for Jeanette Lyons, who's still suffering back pain, that you would give the doctors great skill and understanding in regard to her case, and that you would restore her completely in Jesus' name. For Jim Smith, who's going through a re-regulation of his medications, Lord God, that you would give the doctors understanding in regard to these things, and that, and that all of these things would be done properly and in good order. We also pray for Michael Fredman for the continuing back pain, Lord God, that you would ease his pain and restore his health in the name of Christ. We pray for Marcia Smithhart, who's still struggling with many physical ailments, Lord God, that you would just bless her and keep her and encourage her in Jesus' name. We pray for Ariel Moffat and for her child, Lord God, that you would just heal them and just sustain them and encourage them in the name of Christ. We pray for Carol Ann Garrett, who's having ear problems, Lord God, that you would just heal her and just restore her in the name of Jesus. We pray for David Fredman, who's struggling with classes, Lord God, in school. We know that this is a difficult thing for all of us, and we just pray that you would give him steadfastness and skill and bring to mind the things that he needs to know in order to succeed, and that you would bless him in that endeavor. And we pray for John Martin, who's on a job hunt, Lord God, that you already know the right job that you have for him, and just pray that you would open those doors and bless him in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord God, as we always pray, we always pray for the church, for the state, and for the family. Right now, Lord God, for the presidents and princes and kings and those in positions of power and authority, we pray that you would guide them according to your spirit to rule according to your royal law of love, so that there might be justice and peace in the land. We also pray, Lord God, for the unspoken prayers of the families here assembled, Lord God, that you would grant peace in the inner workings of the families between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between grandparents and grandchildren, all to your glory. We also pray, Lord God, for your church here and around the world, that as your gospel is proclaimed, that by the power of your spirit, many would come to know you as Lord and Savior, and in knowing you have life and hope 
and peace. We praise you for all of these things, praying the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our next song is in your order of worship. <coughs> you are my all in all. Please rise. Come forward for our tithes and offerings. <laughs> Heavenly Father. You have blessed us in so many ways. You've blessed us as a nation with fabulous wealth, Lord. And we today want to give a portion of that wealth back to you. So your word may be spread to our city and the whole world, Lord. We ask that you will bless us as we give. We ask in thy name, amen. Thank you. 
Please rise. So we're back in Daniel, 
And we've been in chapter 3. And what's just happened is we've gone over that great dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. And we talked about the things that had came to him. And Daniel actually came to him and told him what his dream was. And then he told him some other things. He told him about the head of gold. He told him about the shoulders. He told him about the legs. And he told him about the feet of clay. And, said, and then he interpreted the dream and said, these were four great kingdoms that would come. And three of them are spoken about in the text itself. But then it says, a stone will come, not cut by human hands. And that stone will strike the feet and the entire statue will come crumbling down and that that stone will increase in size until it becomes the size of a mountain and covers the entire earth. And then we talked a little about the different traditions of interpretation in this. There's an entire line of interpretation that's reasonably popular that says that that stone must be the Antichrist. But the larger interpretation all through the scope of human history is that that stone is Christ. I mean, if there's one person we don't want to interpret accidentally as the Antichrist, it's the real Christ, right? What would be not cut with human hands? Well, God himself called his son into the world and set him over all of the nations so that he arose from the dead. Everything in heaven and earth is now beneath his feet. And Jesus himself says, and we learn, he will continue to rule and to reign until all things are beneath his feet. Now, this is the controversial subject matter of the kingship or the headship of Christ, right? There are entire theological traditions that live and exist specifically for the purpose of the denial of Christ's current headship, which might seem weird, right? But most Christians, they just don't get that from the Bible. You really have to go to seminary for your theology to get that bad. Right now, already, even before the end of the world, Christ is currently ruling and reigning over all things. Well, there are verses in the Bible that make that more complicated, right? There are some that kind of imply that the devil is the king or the god of this world. Not taking into account that the Bible often and on a regular basis says things that are supposed to be funny or facetious. Do you think the real and true God, the creator of the universe, is really saying that Satan is the real God of this world? Of course not. That he has actual, specific, legitimate authority. Of course not. All things have been given to Christ. All things are in Christ. It's just already, but not yet. It's happening even now, but it hasn't come into its full completion yet. But every one of you sitting here are a part of Christ's current, contemporary reign as through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom advances until it covers the entire earth. Until it covers the entire earth. I mean, we always remember that a couple of thousand years ago, the entire kingdom was 11 guys walking around the desert, right? Now there are billions that call themselves by the name of Christ. And the church continues on through history. So what we read in our last little bit there was that King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. This is from chapter 2, verse 46. And paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then he blesses Daniel, as a pagan might do, by worshiping him a little bit, but also by giving him lots of presents, which Daniel really didn't want, right? 
But the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has now recognized something in Daniel because he's seen a miraculous thing. And so, of course, the king lives the rest of his life as a painstakingly careful and fastidious Christian, right? Hey, he's met the God, but he doesn't really know him. Not yet. First thing that he does, chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. We might think of a cubit as right around a yard. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the king and Nebuchadnezzar sent to, to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Going ahead to verse 4, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, man, I love a bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, uh, I know none of you pay any attention to politics. You don't have any interest in what's going on. There's these debates and stuff, but we don't watch, right? In the Bible, all the way through, church and state, politics and religion, it's just like today, it always matters. When is the time that you know that every political candidate is going to be in church every Sunday? When it's coming to the election, right? Everybody wants to look real religious, right? This king is really religious. I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, the thing that's going on in Daniel, these are not the classical virtues. We all know the classical virtues that are common in culture. We all love the classical virtues. Because you don't have to be a Christian to have the classical virtues. Some of the most honest, decent people that I've known, that I trust, and that I love, you know, are not Christians. It happens. Those are common things that God has made through his common grace in the entire society. But they're not salvific. They're not about salvation, right? Daniel's virtues are not the common virtues. They're not saying, he's so brave. He's so wise. He has prudence. He's so patient. Those are things we respect about all people, right? This is getting into the theological virtues of hope, faith, and love. When it marks out Daniel as a good, worthy individual with great character, they're not talking about whether or not you'd want to hang out with him and go to lunch. They're talking about the fact that he was steadfastly for the Lord his God, even if his life was on the line as opposed to all of the other gods. Because remember, the people at this time, they did not eschew religion. They had too much religion. They had a god for every day of the week and two on Sunday, right? They had gods coming out their ears. One more god, that's what Nebuchadnezzar had done. He just added whatever Daniel's god was to his gods because he wants to profit and increase through this. But the reason that we know he doesn't know that god at all is because of this golden statue, Right? Really, things matter. This was absolute monarchy. Absolute monarchy. And so whatever the king said was an absolute law. Everybody had to obey it. Or, verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, whatever you say about the politicians you've got, we don't deal with that, right? It was life and death. Do you think that this king was saying, Daniel can't worship the true God? He wasn't. 
He's already said, Daniel's God's cool. He's great with Daniel's God, right? Do you think he was saying that he couldn't go together with the other Jews and worship Jehovah? He wasn't saying that. But he is saying that when you hear the music, you better bow down. And it was a matter of life and death, right? You see, when God, the true God, is not at the center of all things in a person's life, when it's not at the center of their heart, at the center of their family, at the center of their community, even at the center of states and civilizations, something else always takes the place. There's a great theologian that once said, if you really want to know what the God of a civilization is, look at the source of its laws. Whoever can command life and death, whoever decides how everything's going to happen, that's really its God. No matter what they say is the God, that's the God. What if they all say they're atheists? Well, look at the source of their laws. How do they decide right and wrong, good and evil? Because is there one person? Is there a group of people? Is there a set of elites that are supposed to be educated and have all the great answers for all of us? That was Plato's answer, right? Philosopher kings will rule us with their great wisdom. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is the unanswerable king in all things. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And you know what? He's only flesh and blood like us. It's not a good answer, is it? Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Why the Jews? Jews are sometimes called Christians before age, believing in Christ and knowing the true God chosen by him as a specific people to bring forth the line of the Messiah for the salvation of the entire world, and they don't play this particular game, right? They declared King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. It's only for you, king. We love you so much, right? You, king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the trigon shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down shall be cast into the fire for, fiery furnace. But there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember, these are the other three that came with Daniel. Let's take a moment to remember the historical context. For 70 years, Israel forgot to keep their Sabbaths. They did not keep the day of the Lord. They did not keep the feasts of the Lord. And they did all kinds of things that displaced him, including slaving, including invading other nations. They got really, really angsty, right? And so God sent another occupying people through the Assyrians and the Chaldeans and eventually the Babylonians to come and take all of the best people of the Jews away. They took all the princes, the kings, the intelligentsia, the movie stars, the rich. They took them all. And they all went off to slavery in Babylon. And then the king had his people go out and pick the ones that were intelligent and trained and wise and who had to read and write and all of those things. And it says particularly, and those that were beautiful, those that were good looking, because the king did apparently only wanted pretty people around him. And they took, especially Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says that they would not eat the king's delicacies because they ate raw meat at the time. It wasn't kosher. And so they had this conversation with the, with the chief uh, eunuch that, okay, don't make us eat those meats. We'll eat only vegetables. And if we don't look even healthier than the other people, we'll go ahead and do what you say. But if God blesses us, he'll bless you also. And God blessed them. And so they were delivered from that. So these are the four people that were taken all the way from Israel. Remember, this entire story doesn't even happen in Jerusalem. It doesn't happen in Israel. It all happens in Babylon, 
where the people of God are again reduced to slavery. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Now, a lot of this sets up the next chapter. The next chapter is amazing because Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and another interaction with Daniel. And of course, nothing there goes exactly the way he did. But who is he setting up as the greatest of God of gods? Himself. Now, you guys all know this. This is like Christianity 101. Who do we usually put at the center of our worship? Ourselves, right? In many ways, we have the tendency to worship our own heart, to set up our own laws, our own system of right or wrong. We judge what we can do and what we can't do. And we will wrench and tear and twist these scriptures any way we can to get what we want out of it, right? At the end of the day, we're all going to either submit to the judgments of God and the presentation of his will given in scripture, or we are our own deity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. That's confidence, right? Do you still believe today that God has the power, ability, and intention to deliver you <coughs> out of someone's hand if he is on your side? Do you still believe it? Because there's nothing in scripture that says anything has changed in that regard. Any success you've ever had, any job you've ever gotten, any income that you've had, any health that you've had, the wife that you have, the husband that you have, the children that you've had, I guarantee you all of these blessings have come from God and not your own power, skill, or ability, right? <clears throat> but it is so easy to slide into the worship of self and the most easy way to do it is to succeed just a little bit. We always wonder, man, God, if you gave me as much money as Bill Gates, I would build you a church. It'd be a big church, a shiny church. People would love it. We always think to ourselves that if he had given us more, we would have done great things for it. But isn't he wise? Doesn't he know us better than we know ourselves? Doesn't he know exactly how much we can handle without falling flat on our face, right? Uh, there's this dangerous thing that we can do in the estimation of our own abilities that Oh, I would never fall into that kind of sin. You ever thought that about something? You hear about somebody that's in a sin, and you're like, oh, well, I would never do that. That's like dangerous, dangerous temptation, right? What if I were to say, there's probably nothing, no sin, not even one of them, that you are not manifestly capable of, but for the grace of God working powerfully within you. And this changes the way we deal with other people and their sins. You've got to do carefully. It says restore them gently, lest you yourself fall into the same thing, right? So here they say, you know what? God has the power to deliver us. We are not sweating the king today. Dangerous. 
But then they say, in verse 18, pay attention to this verse. But if not, in other words, but even if he doesn't deliver us, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. <laughs> says our God has the power and he'll deliver us. We think, we hope, but even if he doesn't, we're not bound. You kind of have to have this kind of backbone in you, right? To be a Christian is not easy. The world has an internal spiritual compulsion to get aggressive against the church. Not all the time, but at specific times in history, the church has been the main bully boy for persecution, right? What is the single most persecuted religion on earth today? Christianity. More Christians die as martyrs every year. More people lose homes. More people lose jobs. More people lose family members. More people go into slavery just for being a Christian if you go around the entire earth than for any other thing, right? The slave trade is thriving in numbers that it never has before in human history in Africa, specifically because of the advent of Christianity. You have to remember that 100 years ago, 2% of the population of Africa were Christians. Now it's 50%. And so there's this intense battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, vying for power and control. Then Nebuchadnezzar, filled with fury and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abagnigo. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abagnigo, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. The king was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <clears throat> now there's a thing called a theophany, and there's a thing called a Christophany. A theophany is a, is a figuration of God where sometimes God looks like a man or does things like a man in order to be understood by men, and a Christophany is a manifestation of the eternal son of God before he was born of a virgin and had a human body. Now, most of the scholars and theologians see this as being either the angel of the Lord or Christ himself before, before he was manifest in the presence of his people, dancing in the flames of the fire. He did seven times, and not one of them was hurt. The miraculous deliverance of God was of their bodies and of their flesh. What we're really looking for more than this is the salvation of our souls so that we can live on the last day and never die. But once in a while... It's nice to get a deliverance in the flesh, isn't it? It's not so bad. And the appearance of the fourth was like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. 
The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire came on them. Nebuchadnezzar answered, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except for their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What was the mistake in Nebuchadnezzar's last proclamation? He was on a roll. He could have been preaching a good old gospel sermon, for goodness sake. Then he said, there's no other God who can rescue in this way. But he's still holding on to his idols, right? As we get into the chapter next, we'll see how God works this out with him. But he needs a whole change of mind. And he's going to get one, right? Let's pray. Lord, our God and Father, we pray that you would instill in us this spirit, Lord God, which will follow you in the fire if necessary. That will recognize your strength and your power and your sovereignty over even life and death, Lord God. It is not so noble to live forever if living is without you. And yet you have power over fire, you have power over water, you have power over air and over the earth. All things bow before you who are truly the most high God. We praise you and we worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise as we sing our last hymn. Does anybody know what number it is? Uh, 13.
and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. Amen. I think it would probably be good.